You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Health Hub. I'm Kathy Biasa, your host, and along with our producer, Alex Diaz, we welcome you to the show this morning. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Kathy. How are you? I'm still a little frazzled. How are you doing? Uh, about the same, but yeah. I'm glad we, uh, we are here, ready to go. We made it in. The top story in the news today in Ontario is the snowstorm, and I gotta say... Um, if it wasn't if it wasn't for the great topic today, I, you know, I, I'm not sure that we would have made it in. It was, um, the roads are awful, and it's just going to get worse, and uh, it's quite a distraction for me right now. Well, we're here now, and uh, we have a great guest. We so. have a great guest, and we'll we'll move on and carry through. And as I said, it'll be a great distraction before we hit the road and head home. But believe me, I'm here for a good time, not a long time. It's just awful outside. So today's show is live. Our number is 416-245-1534. Please do follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We are at the Health Hub RMC. And if you'd like to email us with show requests, any questions, anything that you didn't get answered in this show, we are at thh at radiomaria.ca. And do please feel free to email us. So I've been doing this um Great online experience with people, Alex. And it's uh, I, what I've done is I've made a 14 day challenge to introduce people to foods that support uh, cancer prevention. And it's really, we've had over, you know, well over 100 people join in the last uh, couple of days. And That's it's great. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. It's been. Um, yeah, we have a Facebook page and we're interacting and it's it's a lot of fun. And uh, again, this is Cancer Prevention Month and lifestyle changes, diet changes, they go a long way to uh, supporting cancer prevention. So it's... Um it's all it's all about uh, what we do and how we uh, approach things in life. And as I mentioned last week, a small percentage of cancer is genetic. So many things that we can do to um, have a cancer prevention type of lifestyle. But anyways, um, do subscribe to our podcast. We are The Health Hub on iTunes, SoundCloud, and your favorite podcast platforms. You can find us um, on Radio Maria's website, which is www.radiomaria.ca, and on my website, which is kathybiasse.com. And our show from last week, Diet Fads and Facts with Kate Solo Viova, is up and ready for you to listen to. And it was a great show. I listened uh, to it a couple of days ago and a lot of good information in there. So as I said, we weathered the storm in today to talk about to talk about love. And I can't think of another topic that is better for a distraction for me than to talk about love. And this is Valentine's Day week. Thursday is Valentine's Day, and it's that special time of year when we celebrate love. And in fact, worldwide, over about 50 million roses are given on Valentine's Day each year, and about 1 billion Valentine's Day cards are exchanged. But beyond that, beyond the cards and the flowers, uh, the, the iconic symbol of love is the heart. And what do we know about the heart? Well, we know that the human heart weighs less than a pound, and it is about as big as your fist. Every day, your heart beats about 115,000 times, and it circulates approximately 2,000 gallons of blood through your body. That's it's quite, uh, when you stop to think about that, it's, it's quite Can astronomical. Can you repeat that for me, please? Every day, your heart beats about 115,000 times, circulating approximately 2,000 gallons of blood throughout your body. Wow. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know, when you break these numbers down and you go into the science and the stats about things, our body is just so fascinating. Research has shown that 
more heart attacks occur on Mondays than any other day of the week. I found that to be, you know, I guess, um, you know, experts are thinking that it's because we've gone through a, a stressless weekend and uh, getting back to work on Monday poses a bigger stress than anything else uh, at the beginning of the week. So that's an interesting statistic I thought I'd throw out there for you. So think good thoughts on your drive-in Monday morning. Laughter is a good medicine for the heart. A good laugh can send 20% more blood flowing through your entire body, and it can reduce stress and therefore strengthen the immune system. So just a a few fun facts about the heart and um, carrying on into our show today about love. And we will be talking about the chemistry of love and what, you know, what really makes us swipe left or swipe right. And our guest today is Dr. Joe Schwartz. Dr. Schwartz is director of McGill's University University's Office for Science and Society, which is dedicated to demystifying science and separating sense from nonsense. He is well known for his informative and entertaining public lectures on topics ranging from the chemistry of love to the science of aging. Professor Schwartz has received numerous awards for teaching chemistry and for interpreting science for the public. He is the only non-American ever to win the American Chemical Society's prestigious Grady Stack Award for Demystifying Chemistry. He hosts the Dr. Joe Show on Montreal Radio, has appeared, in hundred, has appeared hundreds of times on television, and is the author of 16 bestsellers. He's also an amateur conjurer. Dr. Joe often spices up his presentations with a little bit of magic. Unfortunately, we won't get a visual today, but we will definitely be having a talk with Dr. Joe. And we are going to be talking about things like what happens to our brain when we fall in love? How do pheromones influence attraction? And who was St. Valentine's? So when we get back from our break, we will be talking with Dr. Joe. Why is there a war between us? Are you not my brother? Are you not my sister? Something's gotta change Stood by you today Why is there a wall between us? Are you not my sister? Are you not my brother? Well, something's gotta change I confess that I've been blind Open up this heart of mine Show me how to love Father than this world I know Take me where you want me Times are always changing But our hearts still beat the same We have a Father We have a Savior That will never change I confess that I've been blind Open up this heart of mine Show me how to love world I know Take me where you want me to go Show me how to love Cause we are One heart beating We are One body breathing We are Broken 
are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. Our guest today is Dr. Joe Schwartz. Dr. Schwartz, welcome to the show. Hi, Kathy. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. What's the weather like in uh, your region? Well, it's still okay now, but uh, I hear that it's coming our way. It's unbelievable here. We haven't had uh, much of a winter up until February, and uh, it seems to cycle on Tuesdays when we're trying to get into the studio here. But um, yeah, this is a welcome distraction because our drive home is not going to be a fun one. But on to to positive and happy things. So you have made it your life's mission to demystify science. Can you tell us why that's so important for you? Well, I think the easiest way to look at it is that just about everything in our life revolves around science, whether it's our nutrition, whether it's the medications we take, whether it's the cosmetics we use, whether you know we're looking at the weather and climate change. All of that really comes down to an exploration of science. And unfortunately, there's a lot of misinformation out there as well, uh, aided and abetted by the Internet these days, because, of course, everyone can become a self-styled expert. And uh, I think it's more important uh, now than ever to try to separate the sense from the nonsense. Uh, there's a tsunami of nonsense that, that you know floods us on a daily basis on the Internet. And uh, it's very challenging to try to combat it, but uh, we give it a shot. Yeah, it is very important. I totally agree with you. Do you do a lot of work with children? We do, uh, because it's my contention that uh, uh, curiosity is the science, what a spark is to a flame. And uh, children, indeed, are very curious. And uh, if you can get them interested at an early age, uh, they'll follow that throughout their life. I think we need some improvement in uh, education at the earliest uh, stages in elementary schools. Uh, We need uh, teachers who are passionate about science. Unfortunately, uh, there's a lack of them because many elementary school teachers themselves are scared of science. Uh, So we do need better education early on to stimulate uh, lifelong uh, fascination with science. Tying in magic must be pretty impressive for the kids, too. They must think you're a genius and a wizard. Well, I mean, there's a role that that, uh, magic plays. And uh, I actually got interested in uh, in the career that eventually was able to forge uh, way back when I was uh, in grade six, which was a couple of years ago. (laughs) And uh, I was invited to a birthday party with a number of friends. And uh, my friend's parents had hired a magician to entertain us. He was a teenager, but, you know, to us, he looked like an accomplished pro. He wasn't. Uh, He was, in fact, not very good. But one of the tricks that he did uh, turned out to be memorable for me and, in fact, life-changing because he um, did a rope trick where he took uh, three ropes and they blended into one. And he said that this was done with an invisible magic chemical that he pulled out of his pocket. He sprinkled that on the ropes, and uh, the three ropes, which were separate, all of a sudden became one. And uh, I knew, of course, uh, even at that rather immature age, that uh, this wasn't done by any invisible magic chemical. But I wondered why he had selected those words. Why not alakazam or hocus pocus, you know, or abracadabra, the traditional magician's words? And I was fascinated, and I went to the school library and took out a book on magic and took out a book on chemistry. And uh, I followed both of those, which which seems, I think, to many people to be a very bizarre juxtaposition because uh, chemistry, of course, is a hard science uh, firmly rooted in the laws of nature, and uh, magicians counter the laws of nature, right? I mean, what does a magician do? He levitates things and, you know, uh, saws people in half and puts them together, all against the laws of nature. Uh, but, of course, uh, as I was to find out, a magician is just an actor on the stage playing the role of a magician. Everything he or she does is done by perfectly explicable scientific means. It's just that the audience is not privy to those means. Uh, And chemistry is similar in a sense, because if you see some unusual color change or you see uh, uh, a liquid solidify and then become a liquid again, uh, or you see something catch fire, it looks magical until you look behind the scenes and get an explanation for what is really going on. So while a stage magician tries to hide the explanation, uh, we in science, of course, like to reveal the science behind the magic. So that little 
trick back in grade six is what got me started. And it's a, I think it's an interesting story and one I like to tell because it, it just kind of shows that you never know the direction your life is going to take. And one single event uh, can make all of the difference. So I started, uh, you know, getting interested in science at that time. And uh, I was reading a lot on my own, uh, particularly about chemistry, which fascinated me. And uh, I hoped that when I would get to high school, I would start to learn about some of these things that I had been reading on the side. You know, I'm reading books about dyes and, and medications and interesting chemical discoveries. Uh, unfortunately, I was disappointed in high school because we didn't learn any of the things that I thought were so interesting. We learned how to memorize formulas and balance equations without much talk about their link to everyday life. And uh, I decided uh, that if I ever had a chance of getting into academia, I would teach chemistry in a different way. I would make it all relevant, uh, not trivial, of course. I mean, still teach the chemical principles, but always make a connection so that the students would understand why it is that they have to learn something. Uh, it's chemistry is, is not like mathematics. One can, uh, you know, argue that it's very important to learn mathematics because it kind of exercises the mind. It, it teaches you to think. Uh, but in in chemistry, you actually do have to learn things, you know, that 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 matter. It's not just an intellectual exercise uh, because chemistry is what is behind everything from shoe polish to to the uh, workings of aspirin. And uh, I think when we talk about chemical equations, it's always important to make a point of where the students come into contact with it in life. And that has turned out to be very interesting. And, you know, the topic that you wanted to talk about today, Valentine's Day is a classic example, because, of course, the heart at least on, on greeting cards, is, is linked to Valentine's Day. And then we have stories about chocolate, you know, that come to the fore. And uh, there's some very interesting chemistry that goes on uh, behind it. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the fact that um, the heart is linked with Valentine's Day is, is really a, a curiosity because love does not come from the heart. Uh, in fact, all of those Valentine's Day cards should be featuring pictures of brains, <laughs> not of hearts, because that's where our emotions lies, is, is in the brain. That's that's where we can really talk about uh, falling in love and, and what chemistry is really going on there. I think I would like to have been a student of yours. Uh, you know, I, I remember going in high school, one of the things that stood out to me was when my, my physics professor jumped on the desk to show to talk to us about atoms. And I don't remember what he said, but I just remember thinking that's a cool way of trying to explain it. But um, just in my own pathway, I'm digging into the science because I want to see how it's relating to something else. And it's not it's not learning science and then relating it. And I think when you spur that interest, I think it actually really does make people become more interested. But I don't want to, I could talk, you know, we could talk about, you know, teaching me how to differentiate between a good science study and a bad one. But I do want to get onto this topic of Valentine's Day, because we've had a lot of interest sparked. And um, we don't want to take the emotion out of it, that's for sure. But we do want to um, get some cool science behind it. So do you know anything about St. Valentine as to start? Yes, I mean, the Valentine uh, is a very interesting story because it isn't even clear that there was one St. Valentine. Uh, historically, we go back to the 4th century. And uh, this was a, a time when uh, Christianity was basically being repressed by the Romans. However, uh, at least according to the story, there was a, a priest by the name of Valentinus uh, who kind of ticked off the Romans. And depending on which story you hear, the one that, that is usually chartered on Valentine's Day is, is that uh, the Romans uh, believed in conscription, that is, uh, young men had to go into the army and they were not allowed to get married before they went into the army because uh, they would then start pining for their loved ones back home and wouldn't engage in battle. And uh, as the legend goes, uh, Valentinus uh, went against the tide and married some of these soldiers against Roman law before they enlisted in, in the army. And for this, uh, he was put in jail and eventually beheaded. Uh, but again, as the legend goes, while he was in jail, he found a romantic link with his jailkeeper's daughter, and he wrote notes that he signed from your Valentinus. 
And uh, after his beheading, he became a martyr, he became a saint, he became Saint Valentine. At least that's one of the stories. There are other stories, uh, but most of them revolve around uh, a priest in the uh, in the fourth century who ran afoul of uh, Roman law and who was promoting Christianity against uh, Roman desires. And, uh, you know, that's what spawned the stories. And, and uh, uh, of course, uh, these stories eventually, you know, like snowball and, and people add uh, to it. But the historical evidence really isn't there, although there are many, many churches around the world that claim to have relics of St. Valentine. And there's one church actually in Rome that has the skull of St. Valentine on on display. And there are many other uh, churches that have fragments of bones and, and, you know, uh, toes and fingers of St. Valentine. And if you put them all together, then uh, St. Valentine must have been a very, 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 very large man. (laughs) Fair (laughs) enough. We'll go with that. We'll leave it at that. There's a good story to hang our Valentine's Day on. So let's go into, before we get into the brain and everything, let's ease people into this subject. Can we eat our way into love? What is chocolate doing for us? Oysters, or is that all in our head too? Well, chocolate can make you fall in love, but mostly with chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) Because it tastes good. Uh, but there's a story again that that emerges uh, just about every Valentine's Day about uh, how chocolates can stimulate falling in love, and as is usually the case, there you know there there is a, a touch of truth. Uh, this is a story that then usually gets uh, extrapolated beyond what the science actually shows. Um, we do know that there are chemicals that are present in the brain in higher concentrations uh, in lovers than in others. And the chemical that has been talked about the most is, is phenylethylamine. And the, the question is, how do we know that lovers have more of this chemical in their brain than others? And uh, an interesting study has shown that people who are in love will produce more phenylethylamine in their urine than people who are not in love. So to put it very bluntly, people who are in love pee differently from people who are not. (laughs) Now, the interesting connection to chocolate is that when you do a chemical analysis of chocolate, you do find that it contains phenylethylamine. And therefore, it's very seductive to say, look, we know that lovers' uh, brains are richer in uh, phenylethylamine because it's reflected in their urine. It must be coming out of their body. And uh, chocolate contains phenylethylamine, and therefore eating chocolates will increase the amount of phenylethylamine in the brain and and cause people to fall in love, hopefully with whoever has donated the, the chocolate. So it's a great story nice romanticized version, and I'm sure that uh, you know, you'll be hearing more about this, this this week from various media sources, except that scientifically it doesn't make any sense. It is true that chocolate does contain phenylethylamine. That is true. However, it never makes it into the brain. The brain is protected by a set of cells we call the blood-brain barrier, and uh, chocolate goes directly to the hips without <laughs> passing go in, in the brain. Uh, so it's a question of love and money. Is that what we're talking yeah. about here? <laughs> but, you know, I mean, if, if you believe that it is going to give you some emotional support, then it just might because of the placebo effect. Uh, you know, the placebo effect is, is one of the most amazing uh, effects uh, in, in science. And uh, we, we see this uh, continuously in, in you know, uh, recommendations of dietary supplements, etc. When people believe that something is going to do them good, 30 to 40% of the time, it really does. Now, it doesn't mean that that isn't real, because if you feel that it is real, then for you it is real. Uh, but it doesn't uh, necessarily mean that it has uh, had a physiological effect. It has had a, a mental effect, which is, is also important. But, you know, it all comes from the brain. It doesn't come from the heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think the, the story of the heart, again, goes back to the uh, ancient Romans and uh, who, who realized, of course, that, that uh, when the heart stops beating, life stops. So it was a, you know, a conclusion that everything that happens in the body must be a function of, of the heartbeat. And um, they, they revered the heart. In, in, in fact, um, uh, long before the Romans, the ancient Egyptians uh, believed that uh, the heart was needed in the afterlife, but the brain wasn't. And when they uh, 
mummified people. They would take out their internal uh, organs, but they would pickle the heart and put it back into the body cavity, whereas the brain they thought was useless. They would suck it out through the nose and, and discard it. Well, uh, wrong thing to do. <laughs> this is, uh, the brain is you know, where our thoughts lie. It's, it's not in the heart. So it's, it's interesting that the heart, for no real scientific reason, has become kind of the, the symbol of, um, of emotion. Well, I guess when you, you meet somebody that you're attracted to and the heart starts fluttering and the cheeks get all flushed, people are not associating the brain at all with it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But of course, uh, the, the fact that your heart starts to, to beat, uh, the stimulation for that, of course, comes from the brain. Comes from the brain. Yeah. And I think we're going to stop there because I think the next half we're going to devote mainly to the brain and uh, really find out what the chemistry behind our love is. We're not going to take the romance and the love out of it. We're just going to help you explain it a bit better. So we'll be back in a couple of minutes.
to The Health Hub, here on Radio Maria Canada. A Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, please call 416-245-1534. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. Today's show is live. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We are at the Health Hub RMC. If I don't get to all of the questions that are coming in, please do feel free to email me at thh at radiomaria.ca. I'm going to do my best, but I don't want to stop uh, Dr. Joe from our conversation. First question before I get to anything is, what does swipe left and swipe right mean? I'll take that one myself. So if you're swiping your thumb right, that's a positive sign, and swiping your thumb left is a negative sign. So I'll deal with that. That one's done. And Dr. Dr. Joe, I've got a lot of questions coming in, um, but again, I want to. I want to. I think they'll be answered as we go on through a conversation. So, looking through the science lens, are there stages of falling in love? Yes, uh, certainly. Uh, people are biochemically very different, uh, and uh, some people, of course, will express their emotions uh, more more than others. Uh, some will feel things differently from from others and the question comes up why i mean what you know what is really happening in the body what's really happening in in the brain to govern these these emotions and uh, one of the most interesting features that is is talked about is the uh, possibility of the existence of human pheromones that is chemicals that uh, will have an effect on another member of the same species. That's the definition of a, of a pheromone. And, I mean, there's no question that these chemicals exist in the animal kingdom. Uh, ants, for example, will lay down a trail of pheromones leading other ants to a source of food. Uh, dogs, for example, also will secrete certain chemicals. The the female dog uh, secretes a chemical called parahydroxymethylbenzoate, uh, which the male senses. This is why when um, a female dog is in heat, all the males in the neighborhood know about this. Uh, so the question is, uh, is there a possibility that there is some real chemical interaction between humans? And uh, a lot has been written about this, you know, about the possibility of stimulating interactions and emotions with, with chemicals. And believe it or not, when we talk about humans, the story starts with pigs. Uh, because it is well known that the, the male pig in his testes produces a set of compounds. The ones that have been most studied are two compounds, androstenol and androstenone. And uh, these do show up in the male pig's saliva. And when the female senses this, when she smells uh, these chemicals, she assumes the mating pose. She stands rigidly at attention, ready to be mated. And, I mean, this is certainly established fact, and it is used in uh, agriculture, it is used in raising pigs, because uh, uh, these days, uh, artificial insemination is the way that it is usually done, because farmers can buy the best semen and use it for artificial insemination. But in order to stimulate behavior in the sow, uh, the farmer will spray uh, concoction based on androstenol in front of the sow's nose, and then she assumes the mating position, and it makes uh, interaction easier. Uh, unfortunately, instead of accepting a male pig, all she gets is a steel insemination rod, uh, probably much to her disappointment. <laughs> so this now, is like a pig perfume. Is that what we're talking that's about That's right. Here? <laughs> it is a pig perfume. Now, here's the interesting human connection. <laughs> Uh, these chemicals, androstenol and androstenone, have also been found in human underarm secretions. Now, that's an interesting observation because uh, obviously we have not evolved to have romantic relationships with pigs. So the question is, is it possible that these are human sex attractants as well? And uh, that has been explored. It has been studied. Although I must say that that you know the evidence that is out there, which is often promoted by companies that manufacture supposed human pheromones, the evidence is is rather weak. Where we do have some evidence, interestingly enough, is if you take an extract of either female or male underarm secretions <clears throat> and put it under the noses of females, even though much diluted. Eventually, the females who have been exposed to these scents 
will start to have their menstrual cycles synchronized. Now, that's a very interesting observation because it means that there is some sort of chemical communication going on. Uh, but whether or not uh, it actually stimulates uh, uh, romantic interludes in, in humans, that, that's a, a bit far-fetched, although there are many companies that sell these products. They never actually tell you what is in there, but they claim to, to have uh, a substance that when you mix with your perfume and you wear the perfume, it is going to cause greater attention from a member of the opposite sex. Uh, these are trade secrets, supposedly, what they put in there, but there's no question that, that uh, it's either androstenol or some uh, synthetic analog of this that they're playing around with. And there's one company uh, called Athena, which actually says that they've done uh, proper double-blind studies, and they find, for example, that, that when women uh, wear this uh, pheromone-based perfume, they get more attention from men in bars, and they eventually end up with greater frequency of dates, greater frequency of kissing, and uh, greater frequency of, uh, of engaging in sexual intercourse. So uh, it's not exactly what I would call hard science. Uh, but they do have some evidence, although the studies uh, are small. There's not all that many subjects that have been, you know, uh, studied. And uh, most serious researchers kind of, you know, smirk when they they see this. Although, uh, given the fact that, of the story that I told you about the menstrual synchronization, there may be some aspects of such uh, chemical communication. Well, but I, I think they, they're putting the cart before the horse. But we're not a pack mentality. So, you know, you're standing in a, in a room full of people. You do, we do seem to lock eyes with a particular type of person. Is that genetic? Is that just a visual thing? What makes one person think that uh, uh, male X is extremely attractive and male Y is, you know, not much to, to work with? Yeah, I, I, I think it's also because we have been kind of, you know, goaded from looking at pictures and movies about what is supposed to be good looking. Uh, so that's been instilled in, in, in the brain. Uh, I mean, we all appreciate visual beauty. You know, I mean, you, you, you show pictures of beautiful things and ugly things to people and, and you know, you, you get the same answer. I mean, people will recognize what beauty is. Uh, I don't think that, that, you know, there's any deep uh, love in involvement, uh, involvement there. I, I, I don't think it's pheromonally uh, governed. Uh, but you know, I mean, these these it's interesting to to think about uh, you know whether or not there are chemicals that that we exude that you know may turn some people on and and not others. And uh, I, I mean, you you can't predict these things. You know, Napoleon used to write to Josephine before he would come home, uh, asking her not to bathe because he was turned on by her smell. Now, most people, of course, would not be turned on by that. So we are, as I said, you know, biochemically uh, individual. But there, there, there are, you know, so many avenues to explore in, the, in, in this area because, you know, there are stories of the existence of aphrodisiacs. Now, that's quite different from the whole story of what I told you about falling in love with phenylethylamine and, and also about pheromones because aphrodisiacs supposedly are specific sexual stimulants. Uh, not necessarily making you fall in love, but but making you know it desirable to engage in in carnal activities. And uh, over the years, of course, there there have been legions of these things that have been you know mm -hmm. uh, purported to be aphrodisiacs, usually based on something that is called the the theory of signatures, uh, which was uh, first uh, voiced about two thousand years ago uh, by the ancient Greeks. The idea was that if a plant or part of a plant resembled the human body, uh, then it would have a beneficial effect on that part of the body. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the you know, classic kind of uh, aphrodisiacs have, have been things like oysters, uh, because if you stretch your imagination a bit, they resemble the female genitalia. Uh, asparagus would resemble the male organ, so asparagus was thought to be uh, an aphrodisiac. Then there's a, a, a mushroom that grows in Africa with the intriguing name of the dog stinghorn fungus. Uh, 
And if you take a look at this fungus, uh, you see why it is purported to be an aphrodisiac because its shape uh, remarkably resembles the the male organ. Mm-hmm. And uh, this mushroom grows from uh, about one inch to 12 inches in one day. So you can imagine why that would intrigue men. Uh, there's no known chemical in there, though, that would have an, uh, an aphrodisiac uh, effect. But, you know, over the, over the years, everything has been uh, purported to be, you know, the, from the left testicle of a goat, uh, which at one time was prized, to, to something that was called satyricon, uh, which supposedly was some herbal blend that the Greeks had discovered uh, that... Uh, stimulated sexual appetite, although no one was ever able to explain exactly what uh, satyricon was. Uh, And then there was cantharidin, or Spanish fly, which was an extract of a a beetle, the cantharide beetle. And that irritates the urogenital tract, so it can actually stimulate uh, an erection, but it's not a pleasurable one. Mm -hmm. And the story is that Casanova uh, actually made use of this, and this is what made him so attractive to, to women. But again, I think that that is mostly a legend. But what is not a legend is that there have been real stories where people have tried to use cantharidin, or Spanish fly extract, uh, as a sexual stimulant, and uh, have uh, suffered for it, because in the wrong dose, it can be lethal. And uh, there's an intriguing story that uh, way back in the 1950s in in Britain, when a a gentleman who actually was married and had two children became very fond of one of his secretaries. And he was constantly rebuffed, but he decided that uh, the way to to get their attention or her attention is to put a bit of cantharidin into her food. And uh, believe it or not, it ended up killing her because uh, the dose was way too much. And uh, this is the same cantharidin uh, that is used by dermatologists sometimes to remove warts, which is where he extracted it from. But this is not, <laughs> it's not a wise thing to do. But it also you know, underlines the fact that toxicity is a function of dose. And that while you know, it may be okay to put cantharidin on a wart that can be quite effective uh, is not a good idea to eat it because uh, that can kill you. Tell you the question that pops into my mind right now is how you remember these dates and events and everything. It's 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 fascinating. Um, making your way around some of the long syllabled words. So once we've cast our line and we've hooked our fish, what happens to our brain? What happens to you know what makes these hormones? What are the hormones that start flowing? What goes on? Well, the hormone that mostly is talked about is called oxytocin, uh, which is also referred to as the cuddle chemical, uh, because uh, it really has been shown in animals uh, that that when they have close uh, interactions, hamsters and, and, and guinea pigs, and when they start to pay attention to each other and mating behavior ensues, that they have uh, higher levels of oxytocin. And, and when they give birth, when the female gives birth, it is the oxytocin that makes them you know, pay uh, attention to their pups. So it's the linking chemical. And uh, there have been some preliminary studies uh, in humans as well uh, that uh, when levels of oxytocin in the brain rise, it uh, makes people engage in, in what could be referred to as cuddling behavior. Uh, of course, the question that, that comes to most people's mind is, is is it possible to stimulate oxytocin by some outside factor? And so far, that remains a mystery. No one has been able to do that. The only thing that, that has been observed is that people who have higher levels of oxytocin, but it usually uh, comes about because they already have feelings for the other person. That's what raises the oxytocin. It's not the other way around. It's not oxytocin that causes you to have the feeling. It is, is, it's not the cause, it's the result of mm-hmm. the interaction. But, you know, uh, the brain is such a complicated organ. I mean, the whole human body, of course, is. Uh, that it's very difficult to tease out, you know, in, individual uh, interactions. And I think when it co- comes to love, 
uh, I think it's attractive to to have a mystery element. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not everything has to come down to a specific uh, explanation of exactly what is is going on. You know, I I, I think part of falling in love is is the whole mysterious aspect of why it is happening and uh, why it happens between certain people and not between others. So, uh, you know, there there are some things that maybe are, are just better left alone. I agree. And, you know, love ebbs and flows and it takes on different meanings. And as that happens, I'm going to assume the hormones that are associated with love also change. Uh, we don't always feel the, the, you know, butterflies in our stomach and the flush cheeks, you know, 30 years after marriage. But it doesn't mean that, you know, one stage of love is any better than the other. It's an evolution of love. And I think it's, it's a great exactly. one. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, it's it's always interesting to talk about these things on, on Valentine's Day because at least it brings attention and it brings attention that maybe the, you know, the best way to keep that love going and the best way to stimulate the right chemicals in the body is just to be nice to your mate. Fair and, enough. And you know, we're back to the chocolate. And we're back to the chocolates. There we There's nothing go. nothing wrong with giving them a box of chocolates. Absolutely and, nothing wrong. And, uh, you know, it may even have some health components because there are numerous studies that have shown that dark chocolate, you know, as long as it has over 70% uh, cocoa powder in it, can actually be healthy. Uh, it can stimulate blood flow uh, through the coronary arteries. Uh, it can actually reduce blood pressure. Uh, but, again, uh, it's not the chocolate cake that we're talking about. <laughs> it's uh, cocoa powder. Cocoa powder. The good stuff. Now, in the initial onset of attraction, are this is a question from one of the listeners: Are men looking for something different than women, or is that a fallacy? Uh, I, I don't think it's a totally a fallacy. I, I, I think men are are more interested in the activity you okay. know, at first. Uh, but uh, I think what is a fallacy is is, is that uh, women are not interested. I mean, they are. Uh, but I I think uh, for for women the uh, romance component is equally important. Uh, whereas uh, you know, men in many cases are, are just satisfied by the physical pleasure. Uh, but in in the case of women, the physical pleasure is is certainly aided to a great deal by the romance, by you know the paying attention to the emotions. Mm-hmm. But men and women are different, right? And uh, they behave differently in all kinds of uh, of ways. Uh, I think it is is true that that women are more tuned into romance than men. Oh, I think so too. I think so every day. Um, so. I want to get to a few questions before we end from from the listeners. And uh, oddly enough, they're about the, the downside of love, but well, we're going to present them to you anyways. Uh, can you die of a broken heart? Well, this, this has been much discussed. Uh, and uh, the answer is possible because when you are stressed, uh, levels of cortisol and other uh, substances like adrenaline increase in the system. And uh, that can um, cause the heart to beat faster. It can sometimes trigger deposits in the coronary arteries to flake off and, and cause a heart attack. So, yes, I mean, stress can do that. And sometimes having, you know, an abrupt end to a relationship uh, can be very, very stressful. So the concept of uh, a broken heart, I mean, obviously not physically broken, but uh, impaired function because of increase in levels of cortisol and increase in levels of adrenaline, uh, yes, it's possible that that can trigger a cardiac catastrophe. Okay. Um, Another question has come in. Do genetics play any role in who you end up with? Is it true that we marry our moms and our dads? I've never seen any evidence to suggest that that is is the case. Uh, I think probably people are attracted to their own type, uh, but that isn't anything to do with genetics. It's it's just that it sociologically it probably makes for you know easier situations when you uh, have a mate who's similar to you. You get less criticism from others, and it just generally makes life easier. Okay, and the last question I think that we're going to be able to get to: Can you give any scientific evidence that will? Tell, what is the question? I'll just read it verbatim here. Can science help determine whether a relationship will last? 
I don't think so. I, I don't think that is a blood test <laughs> to see whether or not a, a relationship will last. It would be very interesting if uh, if there were such a thing. But uh, no, I think we're far removed from that. So uh, you want your relationship to last, be nice to your partner. There we go. So we have the science of attraction and then we have environmental factors that, that play just as much, if not more, of, a, of an effect on love. Um, I want to give your website in case people are interested in finding out more about you and it is www.mcgill.ca backslash OSS. Do you have any other social medias? Does your radio show have a, a, a place we can look for you? Yes, but it, it's all there on the website. Oh, perfect. And we, we have a, a newsletter, free newsletter that uh, comes every Saturday morning. You can sign up for it. It's interesting. It's informative. It's entertaining. And as I said, it is, it is free. And uh, if anyone has any questions, uh, my email is uh, joe.schwartz, that's S-C-H-W-A-R-C-Z, at mcgill.ca. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure. I was really looking forward to this interview. I'm going to now head out and tackle the drive home. Everybody, we'd like to wish you a wonderful, loving Valentine's Day on Thursday and a wonderful week. Uh, Dr. Joe, thank you so much for being on our show. And everybody, we will talk to you next week on The Health Hub. Thank you. Hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.